we're jumping back into our series called the 5G Life Series. It's what it means to be a true Christ follower. We're continuing in our pursuit together to know what it means to be a disciple. And I'm excited as, as we're looking at God's Word and seeing how he, he calls us to live for Him. So we're looking to see what a, a true Christ follower looks like, what a true Christ follower does. Um, and we started uh, with the theme of abiding. That was our first section, as you can see here. We, we had a sermon on abiding, abiding in the vine of Christ. And we were focusing on the theology of what it means to live for him, to worship him, to abide in him. And we looked at John 15, 5 uh, to do that. And what we learned out of that first sermon was that you cannot truly follow Christ without abiding in Christ. And then last week we looked at Romans 12, verses 3 to 6, where we learned how vital our connection is to one another as God's people. And that we cannot fulfill God's will for our lives without connecting to the church. So we learned that um, in order to be a faithful disciple, we must connect to each other and connect humbly, uniquely, and collectively. The Christian life is not a solo mission. And so, thinking about abiding, that's how we relate to God. And connecting is how we relate to each other. And today we're going to be looking at sharing, which is how we connect to the world. So I want you guys to think about your salvation story. About your coming to faith. I want you to think back to that time or that season. I want you to think about how you came to salvation. So were you walking down the road one day and you picked up a gospel track that was maybe on the road or, or stood in an inconspicuous place? Is that how you came to know the Lord? Or were you in a hotel room and you opened up a, a drawer and you found the Bible in there and you opened it and you read it? Did you come to faith by reading the Bible? I want you to think back. How did you come to faith? Did you respond to a Christian movie, to a radio program, or the latest Jesus Instagram post? So hands up, if you came to, sa to saving faith through somebody personally sharing the gospel with you. It could be from a pulpit, it could be personally, whatever. Let's just have a show of hands. Did you come to saving faith from hearing the gospel from somebody sharing it with you? I'm not disparaging those other ways. I highly promote gospel tracts and going out the street, handing those out. Love to see that there's still Bibles in some hotel room drawers. And that there is Christian movies where the gospel messages are all great things. But the truth is, we come to saving faith through personal testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're called to make disciples. We're called to be bold, to be faithful. And to be personally sharing the good news. And the truth is this is true disciples make disciples who become disciple makers, who then make disciples, right? It's, it's, it's this ongoing cycle over the years that God works through his people, through the personal sharing of his gospel message. He's been doing this forever. He's been doing this specifically in the New Testament church for 2,000 years and here we sit today, and we're called to share. The truth is this. True, true Christ followers cannot hoard their faith. 
be selfish with your faith. True Christ followers are urgently compelled to share it with the lost. So please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 14 to 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that we have your word open before us. We thank you again that you have shone the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to us through what you have revealed through your word. We thank you that you have preserved your word for the ages and that it stands true, it stands inerrant, it stands sufficient. We thank you that your word equips us and that you teach us to live for you. And mostly, Lord, that you teach us that we cannot do it apart from you. We need your special revelation this morning from your word. We need to hear from you. So would you speak to us through your word? Would you prepare our hearts to receive it? Would we be diligent to learn from it? And would you give us truth and knowledge and that you would apply it to our lives and that we would respond in faith and worship? And we thank you for it. So we find ourselves in Matthew's Gospel. We see ourselves here in the early days of Christ's mission. He just finished calling his disciples to himself, and he was ministering through all of Galilee, the capitalists, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan, basically all the Promised Land. He was proclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom of God, right? Jesus was sharing the Kingdom. He was healing the sick, he was raising the dead, he was casting out spirits, and many people were following him. And then in chapter 5, we see him up on a mountain. Pretty significant. When you look at all the scripture, a lot of big things happen on mountains. And he was seated in the position of teacher. He was with his disciples around his feet, and the crowds were all gathered around them. And he began to teach. He begins his sermon by teaching on the Beatitudes, which are statements of blessing for true disciples, right? It tells us how true kingdom citizens live. Citizens who understand their total spiritual depravity. A citizen who, whose heart has been so changed by the gospel that they have true humility, true meekness, mercifulness, purity, peace, righteousness, the marks of genuine godly character. And Jesus was teaching that contrary to law the kingdom belongs to those who know that they can't keep the law. True Christ followers know that they cannot keep the law. The Beatitudes point to a perfection that can only be kept in Jesus Christ alone. A true Christ follower knows nothing of self-reliance or legalism, but rather they have true faith and reliance on the only one who kept the law, and that is Jesus Christ, our King. And so we're here to worship Him this morning. 
Jesus reveals that Christ's followers will also be persecuted for righteousness' sake. And even this persecution is a blessing, and we are to rejoice amidst the suffering. It proves our authenticity, and our rewards are in heaven with the Father. So with, with this theme of persecution as we approach our text, Christ begins to start with uh, a couple of comparisons here. He first says that we are the salt of the earth. Really what that means is that uh, our righteousness lived out faithfully in the world is like salt, right? It's, it's flavor, and it's a, a purifying message to the world that people will witness our lives, and it validates the message of transformation in our hearts. So he lays the ground that the Christian life is to be a life of, of purity in the face of the world. And then we get to our text today, and he says to us, says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. So what do you think Jesus means? He's looking intently in the eyes of his disciples, and he says to them, you are the light of the world. You've got to remember, these men are just ordinary men, right? They were fishermen, they were tax collectors. Nothing special about these guys, right? They're not Hebrew and Greek uh, experts here. They're not, uh, they're not seminarians. They're not scholars. They're not Pharisees. They're not scribes. They're just normal guys. But Jesus looks into their eyes and he says, you, and, and this is in the plural form, which is really like the southerners say you all, right? You all are the light of the world. Can you imagine what the disciples must have been thinking, right? What in the world is Jesus meaning when he looks at me and he says, you are the light of the world? Now the saying, the light of the world has, has great history and significance with the Jewish people. Since the time of the Abrahamic promise back in Genesis 12, the Jewish people were knowing that they were to be a blessing to the world. God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Israel was to be a light, shining in a dark place, like a city on a hill. Just think of Jerusalem. Think of the temple on a hill, a shining light of the glory of God for the whole world to see. And that was his plan for his people, to be a light to the world. They know God. They have the message of the true and living God. I want to show you something really neat here. There's a slide. Anybody hear about the Furtop Crescent? Yeah? Some people out there heard about the Furtop Crescent. Okay. Let's look at this map here first. So this is the promised land right here. Jerusalem's right over here. Right in this area is a real green patch of the known world at that time. Okay, so we have the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Right, so it'd be a lot of, of green. You could, you know, gotta have water to live, and then it would come around here into Egypt. This was all a green area. It's like a crescent shape. Okay, it's known as the crescent or the fertile crescent. Even if you look at a, a, a picture of the world, you can see that this is a this is a fertile place. And then I want you to notice this is that there's the, the this continent known as what down here? Africa down here. And we have what, what's known as a future would be known as Europe, and then we have Asia over here. And the beauty about this is that God's people, the promised land, is right at the center of this area. And it's pretty significant. 
Very, very significant. As you examine this location and this geography of the Promised Land, you can see clearly that God placed his people right in the middle of all the walking paths and the highways between these three continents. This is a very, very high traffic area, and, there, and Jerusalem is right in the center of it all. It's this fruitful land bridge between these continents. It's flanked by the ocean on one side and a desert. You're not, you're not traveling through this, through this desert. And he did this purposefully. He planned to have them there purposefully. He planned to have this dwelling place, Zion, that it would be a shining light to the nations of the world. And Israel, in many different ebbs and flows, was a shining light at times through David. They were a shining light of the glory of God to the known world that many people would have traveled by there and would have heard of the true and living God. But, as the cycle of sin often continued in the Israelites' lives, they turned away from God. They turned away from his word, and they fell into sin time and time again. Does that remind you of anybody? I think that's a reminder of our own lives at times. They were failing to live like pure salt. They lost their saltiness. They failed to live like the life, like the light. But the plan was to never have Israel as the shining light. It was pointing forward to a greater light that would descend from the seed of Abraham. And it was fulfilled perfectly in the God-man, Jesus Christ himself. He was the prophesied and long-awaited Messiah. Isaiah the prophet was prophesying about the coming Lord's servant, which is speaking about Jesus, the Messiah to come, that Jesus would be the true light of the world. He says in chapter 49, verse 6, he says, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus Christ himself, he is the true shining light in the dark and dying nations. Matthew already said this back in chapter 4, verse 16. He says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Jesus Christ is that light. Jesus himself refers to himself as the light. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So I think it's pretty clear in the biblical theology of the light of the world being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But followers of Jesus, these disciples, Christians everywhere, you and me, we, we have that light of life because we have Christ. And so Jesus, sitting on this mountain, looks at his disciples, looks at the believing crowd, and looks past them 2,000 years and sees you knows you, and he says to you, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Ephesians 5.8 says this, Paul reminds us, at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So you don't just have the light. Jesus says you are the light because Christ covers you. He cares for you. He indwells you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. 
You are the light because he is the light. And this should really floor us. This should astonish us. Why? I mean, you look in the mirror every day. And you see your sin. And you wonder, how could I be a light to the world? So this should really blow our mind, right? Take some time this week and be astonished by Christ's words that you are the light. But how did you become this light? How did you become this light? How did you receive it? Romans 10 says to us that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And then later it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Those who shared the gospel with you are those who have beautiful feet. Right? They came to you and they shared the gospel with you. It may have taken some time hammering, hammering, hammering the gospel into your hard heart. But the Lord opened it and he receives all glory. The truth is this. Some ordinary person that's full of the light of Christ shared the good news with you. They did so because the same thing happened to them. Someone shared it with them and somebody before that shared it with them and on and on and on. This is our, our call, normal people sharing the light of Jesus Christ. And so for us this morning, we must know this, that we must share because we have received. We have received the light. So when Jesus calls you to be the, the light of the world, what he's doing is giving you marching orders, right? These are your marching orders. You are the light of the world. That's not just for me to hold on to. I'm the light of the world. It means I must share the light. We must feel this blessed weight of being the light in this world. You believe that you are the light of the world. You believe that you have received the light of the world. We must embrace it. We must wonder at it. We must be astonished by it. And we must share it because we have received it. Now that begs the question, have we received Life. Have we believed upon Jesus Christ for salvation? Have we seen ourselves and seen that our sin is worthy of eternal punishment? Do we know the, the God of the Bible? Do we know Jesus? Do we know about the cross and that we should have been on the cross? We should have been nailed in his place, but he lived the perfect sinless life and took our place on that cross. He took the wrath of God on your behalf. He died for you. And then he was raised from the dead. And he declares you righteous, innocent. He declares you what he earned, his righteousness. You have salvation and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And you receive the light. We share that light because we have received it. If you haven't received it, receive Christ today. So we love because we have been loved. We go because he has come. We share because we have received. And that leads us naturally to the next point, is that I must share because I cannot contain it. I must share because I cannot contain it. Second half of verse 14. Jesus says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In ancient times, cities were often made of limestone, which when you, you would cut the stone out of the, the mountain and you would polish it and you would 
stack it up, and it would gleam bright white in the sunshine. But it would also gleam in the night because it would reflect the lantern glow of the people. This whiteness of the stone would reflect into the night. So whether night or day, a city on a hill will always be seen. It cannot be hidden. So Christ is painting this picture of this city set on a hill, prominent, important, primary, and not hidden. This is a city that wants to be seen. This city wasn't built in a valley. It wasn't built in a bend or in a cove to be hidden from danger. It is lifted high for all to see. It's not camouflaged. There's no cloaking system over this city. It is to be seen by the whole world. And in fact, you should notice in the text that it does not say a city on a hill shouldn't be hidden. It says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And we who are lights of the world are like a gleaming, brilliant city set high on a hill for all of our family, all of our friends, all of our co-workers and neighbors, the whole world to see the shining light of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to imagine walking across a desert. You're extremely exhausted. You're spent. Your lips are parched. They're cracking. You haven't had a drop of water for a couple days. You haven't had any food for a week. You've been traversing sand dune after sand dune. And you feel like you're not going to make it. The extreme heat of the day is sucking the, the, the strength out of your, your limbs, and the, the coldness of the night feels like death. And night after night, day after day, you can see in the distance a radiant light. And it seems to be set on a rock high and lifted up. And it beckons you to come near. It promises help. It promises life. It promises care. Its brilliance is drawing you in. Day and night, you see the city in the distance. It's set on a hill. And then you come close. And people run out to your aid. They bring you food. They bring you water. They bring you the message of life. Now, little did you know that along your journey, you also were near some other cities, cities that were hidden around bends, hidden in coves and in valleys. And they had their lights out at nighttime. Their light was not shining. There was food in those cities. There was water. But the lights were not shining so you could get hope. Just imagine that. So what Jesus is saying here is that if you are a true Christ follower, you will not hide that light. You will not hide the light of Christ. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So how do we apply this to ourselves? As Christians, we're to stand out. We're to stand out in the crowd. We are shining lights. We are different. We are observably different. Jesus just taught about salt, which was echoing our pure conduct in the world. And this light speaks of our, our radiant differentness. There's something different about these people. We've been transformed from darkness to light. Then we need to ask ourselves, do our friends see any difference? Do they see the light of Christ shining through you. How about your family? How about your co-workers? 
How about that guy you sit next to on the on the train going to work? How about the, the lady that serves you coffee at Starbucks? How about the census guy that comes to your door that you love? How about the Jehovah's Witnesses that are coming to your door? Are we shining the light of Jesus Christ to them? Are they encountering the light? Or are they seeing somebody just the same as them? No different. Not standing up. Is there any observable difference in me? So we need to ask ourselves the question, are we trying to hide the unhideable light? Are you hiding your identity as light in the world? One of my favorite pastors in the turn of the century, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, the true Christian cannot be hidden. He cannot escape notice. A man truly functioning as a Christian will stand up. But more than that, Jesus is saying, you cannot hide me. You cannot hide me if I am truly shining in you. So a Christian who is not shining his light is like water that's not wet. It's like a fire that is not hot. It is like salt that has lost its tastefulness. It's like a light bulb without light. So is he truly in you? Is he truly in me? A true Christ follower must share because he cannot contain it. And so I must share. I must share firstly because I have received this light. And I must share because I cannot contain it. And then thirdly, I must share because there is much darkness. I must share because there is much darkness. Jesus goes on to say, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to, the, to all in the house. So as ludicrous as it is to try to hide a brilliant city on a mountaintop, Jesus illustrates this nonsensical act of somebody lighting a lamp and then covering it with this your common bowl in the house. So we got to remember back in the time of Jesus, obviously there was no electricity, right? Uh, and when nighttime came, you needed light, right? You needed light. Now back in these times, we could have just flip the switch, right? So they had uh, they had these lanterns that they would use olive oil with and a wick hanging off the end, and they would light these up and they would place them on a stand in the middle of their homes. Now their homes at that time weren't the big elaborate multi-room homes we have today. There might have been two, two rooms, but mainly there was one big room and, and oil was expensive. And so you would take one lamp, you would light it, put it on a stand and it would fill the house with the light. So who here likes to go camping? Yeah, a few people like to go camping. I'm looking at my wife. <laughs> Anyways, I love going camping. Grew up going camping with my dad a lot. We would go out in the woods a lot. Uh, when I was a teenager, we had a cabin up in the mountains in northern BC. Beautiful cabin at the base of this mountain. Uh, usually Friday would come and we would finish school or finish work. And then we'd load up our old uh, 79 Ford truck and we would take that out to the mountains. We'd have to ford a river to get in there. 
Uh, a, lot, a lot of times we get stuck on that river and have to use the winch. Um, sometimes we get we get pretty late coming into the cabin. Uh, I remember I remember one time coming in there really late. It's one of those nights that was overcast. You couldn't see the stars. You couldn't see a moon. There was no light coming from the sky. We opened up the cabin door, and, and all of us were really, really tired. And so I was sitting on the bed of my brothers and waiting. And uh, and we were also hungry, so Dad was going to make some food for us. And so he had brought out his gas lamp and, and brought out the matches. And then he lit that match, and, and there was there was a little faint glow in the cabin. You couldn't see everything. But then he would light that lantern and, and turn on the gas, and boom, it was a beautiful, bright light. And every corner of that cabin was lit up light in the darkness. One time we did that, he lit the lantern, and all of a sudden we heard some scurrying up in the ceiling. And we looked up, and we had plastic in the ceiling with some insulation. You could see through it. And we could see this weasel running around in the ceiling. He lit up the darkness and exposed this weasel. And if you've been around weasels much, you don't want a weasel around. They don't smell really nice. And so we exposed this this weasel, and he took off, but it took the light to expose that, that weasel. So just like this lamp lighting up in, in, a, in a home, Jesus wants us to understand that our job as disciples of him is to be lights in the world, shining into the darkness of the world, shining into the darkness, sharing the life-saving message of the light of Jesus Christ. This is our job. We must share because there is much darkness. And this has been with us since the fall, since we chose to rebel against our Lord. The prophet Isaiah knew of this darkness as well. And he knew that the coming Messiah was to be the light of the world to shine into this darkness. In Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 3, like I read earlier, he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And Jesus was to be that light shining in that darkness. So amidst this darkness that we see here on the earth, we know that the glory has risen in Jesus Christ. He has involved us. We've received him. We shine the light in the darkness. Jesus is the light in the darkness. John 1, 4-5 says this, In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the life of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus cannot be overcome by darkness. We are to join him in that effort of shining the light in the darkness. Ephesians 5, 11 to 14 talks about our responsibility. We are to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Love that verse. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ shines 
into the darkness through his people. And so we live in dark times, don't we? As we watch the news, we see that things are getting worse out there. Dark times are ahead of us. The persecution is coming to the church in the future as well. We know that. We're promised that. It's dark times. People are turning from the Lord. People don't know the Lord. And we need to be about the business of shining the light. We're called not to cover our lamps of the gospel, but rather to put them on a stand and light up the darkness around us. We must love those who are entrapped by their own darkness. And the light will expose their sin. So shine the light Jesus Christ into the darkness every day. Everywhere we go, out of love to the lost, we ought to have that same grace and mercy that has been poured out into us by God. We must share because of the darkness. Now, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned a, a quote from Clint Humphrey, the pastor from Calvary Grace in town, but it's worth mentioning here again. He was preaching from Ephesians 2, you know, the verse where it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And he said, our biggest problem as Christians when it comes to the lost is that we don't live like the lost are really dead. Right? By the witness of our lives and our complacency, we're not living like the lost are really dead. Right? If we really believe that they were dead, we would be doing much more in and I'm preaching to myself, and I know that's preaching to you, but that, that, that convicts me deeply as well. So lost are really dead. They really are. We were once dead. Because we were once dead, we should be all the more compelled to go to them. But we often lack the urgency. We lack the reality that there is lost sinners all around us every day dying and facing an eternity apart from Lord. So ask yourself, do I really love the lost? Do I really love them? Do I believe that they are in darkness? And should I be shining the light, that loving light of Jesus Christ into their darkness? It is the most loving thing that you can do, is to share that news with the world. So I must share because of the darkness. And then Jesus says in verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. And out of this we're going to see that I must share because of God's glory. I must share because of God's glory. Now sharing is more than just sharing the gospel. right? We need to be sharing the message which has to be spoken with words. But it also is backed up by a transformed life that has been changed by the gospel. Jesus says that we are to let our light shine before others, in front of others. So that means that we actually have to get out into the world, right? We have to get out into the world. We have to interact with the laws. Let me ask you this. Can you shine behind closed doors? Can you shine from your couch? Can you shine in isolation? Of course, you can't shine very well from those places. You have to get out. Right? We're, we're so used to it in, in our country, especially in the wintertime. 
drive your car home from work, and, and for those who are blessed with the garage, you pull in the in the garage, close door behind you, and you walk out of the house. Let us ask ourselves, do I even know the names of my neighbors? That's a convicting question. I should be sharing the gospel with them, but do I even know their names? So we need to be out in the world. Are you the shiniest person in your neighborhood? Are you shining? Like, do they look at you and see that you are different? Like, those people in that house down the road, there's something different about them. Like, they live differently. Are we the shiniest people in our workplace? How about at school? Wherever we go? This is a good question for us, too. Are the only people that we know Christians? Are the only people that we know Christians? And that's often, sometimes, we have a bit of a holy huddle. right? We love being with God's people. Even last week, we preached about uh, how essential it is for us to connect to each other. And that is true. We also must be in the world shining the light to them. Jesus calls us to follow him, but he calls us to follow him living in this world, he says. So we must rub shoulders with the lost. We must penetrate the darkness with the light. We must live amongst the dead. And we do that because we love them we have the good news of Jesus Christ for them, their only hope. And we do this with our words, but we do this also with our deeds. It says here, so that they may see what? Your good works. They may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So the reality is that when Christians are living a godly life before the world, the world will see our good works. When we live with, with godly character and grace, and even looking back at the Beatitudes, we're living these out. We can only live those out of the power of Christ, who is in his indwelling spirit. We can be living with humility and repentance and transformation, meekness, righteousness, mercy, purity, peace, and boldness. People will see these things. They'll want to know why we are so different. And some may come to understand the truth. They may see this, and there may be some fruit of faith born in them, and Christ will get the glory. So our gospel efforts, remember, are they're motivated by the gospel. They're, they're induced by the grace of God. They are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they are backed up with transformed lives. And these transformed lives will validate the very testimony that we are sharing. And some will come and they will give glory to the Lord for what they see in their life. And so we live, we share the gospel, we live it out in front of the world. Our ultimate aim is for the glory of God. Anything that we're doing, it has to end with the glory of God. When we think about evangelism, we need to love the world, but it can't stop with just loving the world. It has to ultimately aim with a vertical purpose of bringing glory to the Lord. So let us keep our conduct honorable, it says in 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles 
honorable, so what so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The Lord does this work in you, and people will revile us, they will persecute us. We stand fast in godly character, and they will see that our authenticity as Christians, and then they will glorify the Lord when he returns. All things are from him, through him, and to him. And the ultimate reason that we exist as Christians is to bring the glory to our Father who is in heaven. So how are you doing with that? Are you living for the glory of God as witnessed by the fruit in your life for the purpose of the salvation of others and ultimately for the glory of the Lord? The mission of our church is to glorify God for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Now this statement is it's worded very intentionally and it says glory first, right? We're here to glorify God. That's our purpose. Glory must always be the aim of our lives. Has anybody heard of David Brainerd? Yeah, a few people. Okay, David Brainerd lived at about the time of Jonathan Edwards in the early to mid-1700s. David Brainerd understood what it meant to live as a light in the world. In the 1740s, uh, Brainerd was going to Yale College back then that was required. To be a minister, you had to go to uh, these Ivy League schools, actually Yale, Yale College was started as a seminary, right, to train pastors. Very far from that today. Um, and while he was there, he heard a sermon by George Whitfield. George Whitfield, this amazing preacher, uh, with this massive voice, uh, was preaching all over the, the world at that time. And there was a big revival on the campus of Yale. And Brainerd was there, and he experienced an awakening of his soul. And he answered the call of the Lord to go into missions. To go into missions. And he wrote this in his journal about his response to the call of sharing his life. And he wrote this. He said, Here I am. Lord, send me. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the rough. Send me to the pagans of the wilderness. Send me from all that is called comfort on earth. Send me even to death itself, if it be but in thy service, and to, to promote thy kingdom. David Brainerd knew that the ultimate aim of his missions and his efforts for the gospel was to bring glory to the Father, to the kingdom of Christ. He was then kicked out of Yale, right? Um, he, was, he was speaking out against some of the criticism at Yale about this revival. The, uh, some of the faculty were not in agreement with what was going on. And he soon found himself on the mission field uh, to the Native Americans in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Now, throughout this whole time, he suffered terrible sickness. He had very, very poor nutrition, and he also had tuberculosis. But he didn't let this keep him back. He loved God, and he loved the natives that he was ministering to. And this was hard, tough missionary work, and the fruit was slow to grow. There was natives with languages that he didn't know yet. He had to learn it, and then, and then um, did some translation of the scriptures for them. But in 1745, 
God blessed his toil, and in one year, 77 natives were baptized. He shared his whole life, wholeheartedly. David Brainerd's ministry lasted only five years, and then he died. He actually died at his, his friend Jonathan Edwards' home. But many of those people that were in darkness, lost in darkness, witnessed the glory of God. And he had a godly life to back it up as well, and a bold testimony. So I tell you that, that story to encourage us, but also to convict us, to convict myself. We can do the same. We can follow the Lord in the power of the Spirit and live this out. And so a true Christ follower must not hoard his faith. We must not hoard our faith. We must share it. I must share because I have received. I must share because it cannot be hidden. I must share because of the darkness. But ultimately, I must share because of God's glory. Let's be about God's glory. Now, in the, in the coming weeks, we're going to start fleshing out these, these relational um, Theologies that we're talking about, abiding, connecting, and sharing. Uh, we're going to be talking about what it means to abide and just some real practical stuff of how to live for the Lord and to study His Word and to, and to pray. We're also going to be looking at what it means to share, right? We're going to split this up into give time and go time, what it means to be going. We're going all the time, but we're also having an intentional efforts to go across the world as well. And so I pray that uh, you will start preparing your heart towards that. And uh, I just want you to know that, that we love you in this church. We want you to know God's Word. We want you to pick it up for yourselves and to be studying it. We want you to check everything in the Word against what I'm telling you. And we want to live for God's glory. And I pray that we would be people that are going to share. When I look out in, uh, in here early in the morning, there is a lot of people in this arena early, early Sunday mornings. Like not right now, but in the early Sunday morning. So I want to think about how we can start sharing with them. We're, we're here as a church, but let's start being intentional. So we're going to start planning how we're going to connect to some of the people out there in the morning as well. But we are about sharing, about sharing the good news of Christ. And I pray that you're along for this journey. The reason that this church exists is for the ultimate glory of God through the salvation of the lost. And so let's pursue that together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word always can the beauty of your word is that it convicts, but it also encourages. And it shows us the truth that we can't do this apart from you. Help us not to leave here thinking, I now have a list of things that I need to keep. I now have a list of things that I need to do. Apart from the power of Jesus Christ. Lord, we have received. Help us to understand what it means that you say to us that we are light light of the world. We pray this week that we would meditate upon that. And that we would respond to that in faith and worship. And would you use us as, as lamps shining in the darkness? And would this week, would, would one soul come to faith through our witness? We ask you to do that through us. And we ask you to do that for yourself, for your glory. We thank you that you are a God that loves your people and that you've equipped us and that you work through us. We stand amazed in your presence and we give you all.